0: Hey, welcome to the pre-roll for ELL 179. All the show notes, by the way, for today at liberty.com forward slash ELL 179. Uh, you know what? Let's just plug some Patreon today. If you like what we're doing here, having meaningful conversations, uh, insightful conversations, and honest conversations. You can support us. Go to patreon.com forward slash lionsofliberty. But there's oh so much more when you join. You can listen to JB, my guest today, talking about conspiracies and truly taking on the mantle of Dr. Science. He's one that pokes logic holes in these conspiracy theories. He's the guy that uh, brings people down to earth, but in a good way, in a measured way, in a hilarious way. There's also Degenerate Gamblers, the hilarious show that Rico, Odie, and I host, talking trash, telling stories, gambling on things, at least when gambling was a topic. And of course, Rick and Morty recaps, South Park recaps, uh, I don't know, a bunch of crap. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty, would you?
1: Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams.
0: Hey, hey, welcome to Electric Liberty Land, episode number 179. I do have a special guest this episode J.B. Lubin, Dr. Science, one of our Lions of Liberty. I figured, uh, as you'll hear, better to have another perspective and a very pertinent perspective on this. But before we get into the interview, guys, I just want to tell you, it's a tough time right now. It's hard to express your feelings. It's hard to uh, come out and be honest. It's hard to know exactly where to stand because it seems like Unless you're with the exact narrative people want, then you are ripe for attack. And I feel like this interview today really did a great job of cutting through that kind of the BS. And I've cut out the cursing in this episode. Those in our Lions Pride can get the curses, but uh, I wanted to be able to make it very easily shareable. I think it's an important episode to share, so please do. And here we go. All right. As mentioned, I'm joined by our resident Philadelphia Lion, who is still alive. Uh, Thank God you made it through the fires and the fighting. Uh, J.B. Lubin, welcome back to Electric Liberty Land, man.
1: Thank you. Feels like it's been ages, but you know.
0: I know. The last time was probably like the Christmas episode, right?
1: Yeah, probably. You know, it's just like putting on an old glove, you know.
0: Feels good. (laughs) That's that's exactly what I call my wife. The the old glove. (laughs) Yeah, I know the, the the Christmas episode was something special. The uh, the worst Christmas caroling I've ever heard in my entire life. I'm telling you,
1: if you want if you want quality, we should practice at least once. I'm not True. saying make a whole like month long thing about <laughs> it, like, but like one run through beforehand. We need to, well, we would need,
0: probably help. We need to have an ongoing Lions Choir. I think would be the ideal thing. You know, like that should be our next pride level. Is if you join it like 300 and above, you get to tune in. We'll have the Lions Choir. We'll get you know. Once my daughter's early enough, we we'll get Odie's daughter in. My daughter. We'll get Rico's son in. If you and your wife have a child, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to replace like that. Uh, what's that special choir that they have that's so famous? The kids choir. Uh, yeah, I they know. They sang at Home Alone. About. That's all I can remember. They were like in Home Alone. Some, some
1: tabernacle? Is Chat, it the Mormons? Is
0: it, oh, maybe, maybe it's the Mormon.
1: Mormon tabernacle. Yeah, am the the Mormon, I making that
0: up? The Mormon tabs.
1: Yeah, maybe something also, like they, that. They drop with acid definitely tabernacles in there it's not often you use that word so it sticks in your head
0: <laughs> yeah definitely uh, yeah so you know this isn't by the way this wasn't an, a, a formally announced L A L D L. but considering the fact that we're both alcoholics sitting down and talking about yep. uh deep deep issues addressing society we might as well be getting a little bit drunk during it right so what do you got in your hand over there i've got the the
1: scotch I, i've been sipping on the last few weeks it's uh it's a campbell it's Glen. Glen Scotia, it's called.
0: Glen Scotia. Is that like the uh, the Scotsman's had sex with the uh, the Nova Scotians and made a beautiful brew?
1: Maybe. It's pretty peaty, so it sounds like that that mating, I would say.
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense.
1: Tastes like the sea, I'll say.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I also am doing a Scotch. I'm doing a Dewar's 15, a buddy gave me. It's actually shockingly good, the Dewar's 15. I didn't realize. Yeah. It yeah. It's. I mean, because I'm not a huge Dewar's guy, but this is actually really good.
1: Oh, is a solid fallback, you know?
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, excuse me. And but yeah, I'm a snob.
1: Me. I only drink single malts, so.
0: Well, hey, some of us have to be fancy and pinky out, and I know that's you all the way. <laughs> but yeah, so for those of you who aren't familiar with JB Overly, he's on, so of course, JB's one of our Lions of Liberty, and uh, he's on a lot of our Pride shows. So you're, you always take part in the Conspiracy Corners, of course, as our resident doctor, Dr. Science, and uh, a lot of our Roundup shows. But yeah, so this episode I wanted to, I I mean, you know me, I'm a white guy that yells in a microphone. And I thought that for the second week of covering George Floyd, everything that's going on in America right now, it would make a lot more sense for me to have you in rather than just be myself, uh, yammering on, because obviously the big difference between you and me is that you're French.
1: Yeah. I think that that will definitely contribute to this conversation greatly.
0: (laughs) No, JB, JB is black. Um, Let's throw that out there right now. But yeah, man, so, I mean, I, so we've, we've had discussions, you know, the Lions in general about race, about race relations, about policy, about policing, all this other stuff, but things have come to such a head. And, you know, I kind of want to talk about what led into this, you know, I think the COVID lockdowns played a role, but also, you know, I just want to hear what, what's your perspective looking at this, you know, before we get into the different news items, just tell me your perspective on this, and and obviously, you know I can't I can't grasp it. Like you know, from your perspective, I, I'm a white dude. I'm not dealing with certain shit. So you know, tell me a little bit about your experience, your perspective on what you deal with, what you've seen. You know, do you do you agree wholeheartedly that we are still living in a racist America? Um, lay it on me, man. Well, well, wow. I know it's a That's lot. Uh, <laughs> it has the <some> more scotch. <laughs> it has the <some> more scotch. <laughs> What
1: do I begin with that intro? You know, it's yeah, like, I know, man, can't can't toss me a softball to just, you know, ease the sense of the conversation or anything. But OK, <laughs>
0: I did. What do you think all the conversation about drinking was about
1: let, Let's dive. Let, I thought that's just how we start everything. Let's <laughs> dive right in then, you know, so maybe we'll take this one at a time. Yeah, yeah. Um, God, like first thing I would say is that. I'm not surprised that this is happening. I don't know if you are or what the general consensus is. Like, as this is going on, everything that's been going on, not just since the COVID lockdown, but for like the last five, probably 10 years, it seems like this is something that's been building up. Um, I'm 36, just uh, I'm gonna expose my age out there. I'm not shy. Um, And the last 10 years of being 36, these flare-ups with these police, these interactions with the police that have been caught media attention have gone viral. Um, probably, as I use the word viral, due to the fact of this expansion of everyone having phones and everyone using social media and being able to spread things that happen in isolated places, something that can happen in South Bend, Indiana, and be seen in China in a matter of hours. Mm-hmm. Like, And this is all kind of unfolded in the last 10, 15 years that this is even possible for human beings to um, do. And with this expansion of information sharing, we're starting to see a lot of ugly things. And when I I started, I started going through this like speech slash rant, going a different avenue, but then I kind of pieced it together in my head. The technology is what's driving this. Mm -hmm. The change in technology, the way that we share information, pictures, the ability to take pictures, the ability to share information so quickly is really what's driving something that's been underlying, has been ever present since, you know, since this country has been founded. It's not so much. I love when people say things are getting worse. Things are not getting worse. Things are getting better. Things are getting objectively better. We could do a whole separate show where I can pull up stats and statistics about even race relations and how people interact. Things are getting better, but we're just seeing the bad shit more. Mm -hmm. The bad shit that's always existed, the bad shit that's not going to magically go away because Barack Obama was president for eight years. This is what we're seeing. And as the more we're able to see it and the more we're able to share it, it's just like building this like this cauldron of like, you know, animosity. Yeah. And like just aggravation and like frustration that, coupled with being under house arrest for like the last three months. I can't like, this is like, like powder keg seems it, like a, like a, a, like not, it doesn't even describe the cliche. Of oh, what's yeah, going it, on
0: it's, it's an absolutely perfect storm. And you know, and I, I had posted in our forum group too, to saying like, you know, cell phones, the advantage of everybody having video on cell phones right now is it's the greatest thing that's happened for police accountability. It's the greatest thing that's happened for exposing this for sure. But like you said, it also has, you know, it, because of social media, these things get amplified so much. And while you said, I agree completely that things are definitively getting better, and that and it's like you would never know it by looking at the news and what's reported. You never know it, and I actually think that oftentimes the attention to this and like how much you know people focus on all these different racial issues are creating more uncomfortableness and awkwardness be- between people where they wouldn't have thought about it before. You know, it's like it, now it's all this concentration on how we're different identity politics and it's well, like people are uncomfortable around each other, not because they're racist as much, but I want to get into how I think these protests are creating more racism, not less. Um, but I think that they're concentrating on like the amount of mental energy putting into how to deal with other people on the basis of race, just in everyday casual interactions is also adding to this like stress level where, where it builds and builds and builds. People are at home. Like you said, they're not working. They're not making money. And the and especially too, the COVID lockdowns affected p- people of color massively more than anybody else. Like the people that were laid off from most of these jobs were people that were of color. So it's like, you've got people that are angry and yet they're it's like they don't understand what's going on exactly with the government and how the government, I think, is driving a lot of this overall. But that, that's that we can save for later on. So I don't want to distract you from, too much from a, our initial conversation.
1: There's uh, there's a lot where you said that I agree with, but there's a, a few things that I would I, I kind of push back against. One yeah, of those no, things please, is man. This is what I the exactly. idea of like people talking about race and race relations and that making people uncomfortable. I think that's just a ne- necessary even let's let's even call it a necessary evil Mm -hmm. part of like part of being that feeling of being uncomfortable is a is a part of growth to me if it makes you uncomfortable that means that there's certain things about that that you need to think about and think about within yourself well let me clarify
0: let me clarify it's not i i have no uncomfortableness at all talking about race relations uh personally what i'm more what i'm referring to is and i and i i'll try to i'll try to put this so that it's very clear what i'm saying it's more that people because it's so front and center at all times, like for example, and I've said this a couple other times, if I'm walking down the street, like, you know, let's say it's I, I'm walking down, there's a black guy coming down the street at me. I think so much more now about how I have to act in order to make that guy feel comfortable and that it like it's like, what do I have to do to make sure he knows that I'm not racist? And I never thought about that shit ever in my life before. And now it's like front and center where I'm like, I don't, I want to make sure that this guy knows I don't have any animosity. I want him to feel comfortable. Whereas before, before all the last 10 years, I just didn't think about it. I was like, what's up? I'd walk right by. And now I'm, it's like a a thing in my mind. And I think a lot of people have that same thing. And that thing gets picked up as uncomfortableness with a race rather than uncomfortableness with like, am I going to come across a certain way? Am I going to, am I going to, am I going to set up this guy's racist, racist star, race star?
1: Well, (sighs) There's a lot there's a lot that I can see that. And I, I can definitely I can definitely sympathize with that. Um, a lot of th- times when I talk about this um, with white people, you know, how dare you? <laughs> yeah. Particularly white <laughs> men. They I tell them I can I can understand in a certain way because I deal with a similar circumstance. I might be black, but I'm also a man. So mm. the way that I interact with feminism is the way a white person basically interacts with racism right and the way that is projected in media and the types of things and sometimes i see certain things said about sexism in society that i don't necessarily agree with but i don't i don't allow that to change the way that i feel about myself in my interactions with women Mm -hmm. i might do something at the workplace to a female employee that I might not realize, which is the fear that you're talking about. This is walking on eggshells type of thing yeah. that you've, that you're, that you're trying to describe. It's going to happen. The thing, the thing that makes me comfortable, this is the transition from, I guess a sexism aspect is I don't consider myself to be a sexist. I also don't consider myself to be perfect. I'm doing the best that I can. And if I do something that a woman at my job perceives to be, a little off bounds, even if I don't think so, it's a time to have a conversation. I'll apologize and say I don't really understand what I did, and we can talk about it. But I don't allow it to change my regular behavior because, as far as I'm concerned, and you've known me for years, my regular behavior isn't overtly sexist. I, but I do. No, you hide it male, very well. Yeah,
0: you hide it great.
1: <laughs> but being a male, being a male in on the face of the earth, I'm imbibed with sexism from birth as part of our culture. Mm. So there's no way I can say I'm free of sexism because I'm alive. I'm a man who lives on earth. It's the same way with, it's the same way with racism. Does not make you a fucking racist? Same way. I don't think I'm a sexism knowing that there's certain sexist elements
0: that is just absorbed
1: in my being because I'm alive on this planet.
0: No, I think that's a great point. And And I was thinking about that recently too, is like, you know, I don't consider myself a racist, but without a doubt, I think, I, number one, white privilege is a thing. I don't know if it's as pronounced as, you know, Black Lives Matter and some activists would make you think, but it's definitely a thing. Um, and I definitely think that, you know, people do look at white people and black people differently, whether that's just based upon basic minority status or, or uh, self-identification, you know, people kind of- self-identify. groups. Yeah, you know. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, but at the same time, like, I, I'm not racist, but I think that I, it definitively, like you're saying, we're all going to naturally have some sort of, uh, whether it's cognizant or subconscious racial biases or some sort of identity, kind of like, like I said, like the identity issue where just seeing somebody that doesn't look like you, I think on a base level, does jar you. And you have to get past that when, you know, it's like you shouldn't judge people on that surface, but I think people are naturally, I think inclined and designed to kind of be like, okay, this person's like me, that makes me feel more at ease, like from a fundamental nature level. And I think that's something that is going to lead to weird interactions, no matter what, no matter how much work's done, it's going to be strange to, uh, uh, no matter what you do. And I also think that people need to acknowledge that not everything is, it has racial intent. You know, like that's I think the, the thing with about racism is like the level of intent, I think, varies where there's people that are certain, there's certainly, <laughs> they're certainly racist, but then there's people that are not racist. And I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not using Karen in New York, New York City, uh, Central Park. She's definitely <laughs> in racial profile and calling the cops on the guy with the dog. But I think certain other people, you know, they might do things by accident that they're not really thinking about or come across and say something the wrong way where it's now interpreted as racist, where they are not a racist, quote unquote.
1: You know? Yeah, I believe that. And that's fine. And I believe it or not, most black people acknowledge that, you yeah. know, like no one is expecting people to be perfect. You know, it's I the, when I go when I talk to my family and other black people and go on the media and stuff, it's not a matter of these like missteps and stuff. That's really the problem. It's acknowledge- it's not acknowledging there's a problem at all. Yeah, if that's the problem, it's not saying you have to be a perfect human being saying that there's not a problem
0: is the problem. So it's I think that addressing that point, I've seen some actually some prominent like black libertarians on Twitter with big followings tweeting out stats, which are accurate. Right. And it's about the death rates. So policing death rates, you know, people shot because typically when you do have something like this, you know, a, a black man killed by the police, it blows up. We get the protests, we get the riots. And they people throw out these stats, which are like white people are killed more often than black people. Uh is this you know, per capita? This is per yeah, per capita or per, per year. I oh, no, per year. Because that's very per, important. Well, I think because, it's per year.
1: Because per year. there's way more white people than black people. If yeah. it's not per capita, then it's kind no, no, of
0: no, it's 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 way more white people than black people per year. And it's something like the one I saw was something like 16 to 6 or something. But the thing I that that while that stat might be accurate, the thing that to your point and to what we're talking about, that is without a doubt inarguable and doesn't get conveyed in the stats is over-criminalization, over-policing of black neighborhoods. Um, like you said, you know, we do talk about racial profiling, different treatment of black people versus white people or other minority groups. And this is, this is something that's not going to show up in the stat sheet, you know, because you can't account for a cop car driving around your neighborhood 20 times until they pull you over. Like there was a buddy of mine, actually from freshman year at Penn State a guy named Alvin and Alvin posted. And, and I don't know if this is accurate or not, but he posts on Facebook. He's saying he's been pulled over, you know, 400 plus times. And he lists all these things that happened to him. I, I don't know if they're accurate. I would believe it though. And he is, you know, a sweet, nice guy, well-educated, same education being you, you know, un, unimposing guy, but yet he's clearly been harassed. And I kind of like, in a way I want to say, look, what you're pro- what you're protesting specifically about police killing black people is wrong. I don't want to support that message so much as expose people and get them to wake up to the the level of state sponsored racism that goes on by virtue of the police state.
1: I I couldn't agree more. It's these initial interactions in the first place that build this powder keg that make, and this term has been floating around forever the police and occupying force mm. if they if the police and i always feel like i'm beating a dead horse here when i think say these things when <laughs> not a dead drug war because that's a film. yeah with this drug war this now this interaction has become war
0: mm-hmm.
1: now now you have two rival camps police are afraid and it is fear it's not and maybe not in the case of of george here yeah because I watched that video, and that dude looked like a f- like sociopath. it was just like nothing going on while he was doing this it was like it was just like having his morning coffee yeah like he
0: was, I mean, the cries of anguish that whatever the crowd was saying they, they could mean nothing to him
1: but other than that this this idea of the trigger happy cop in the hood mentality is because of this drug war and this mm-hmm. this inability to Remove the main source of crime and the removing the most productive individuals, young, you know, young males out of an entire demographic, out of an entire neighborhood being shuffled and moved around and abused and put into prison and basically being disenfranchised. Once they get out, all their opportunities decrease drastically. If you're if if people say if you're born black, you start at minus 100. Once you get out of jail when you're 25, you're like minus a thousand. Oh, God. You're fucked.
0: Especially the felony. If you have a felony on your record. Yeah. Good luck getting a job. Good luck getting anything. What are you going to do? Crime? There's a reason why every
1: every person who's ever done that, like we have a whole segment of our show about that Mm -hmm. gets its own podcast. It's not because it's it, it's it's normal, it's because it's rare, it's incredibly difficult. It's mm-hmm. an extraordinary thing to do. That's why we devote whole podcasts to it. Because yeah, exactly. it's not the norm. Yeah, exactly. We're not right. even talking nine out of ten failure rate here. It's probably ninety-nine out of a hundred or something like that. So it's like
0: Well, I it think also, st- man, it's like it also comes together. Yeah, you know, we talk about the military militarization of the police, but it's not just about the funding and the weapons going into the police too. I think it's also that the police in general, and we're getting a little bit off topic here, but we'll, we'll return to George Floyd in a second. So I want to talk about the, uh, the official coroner report versus the coroner report that his family had done. But you also look at just the way, like who's becoming cops. And a lot of it also ties in, you know, in an overarching sense, to getting way off topic tangent-wise, but in an overarching sense, you look at the war state, right? The ongoing military state you have all these soldiers rotating out of service that are coming home. They don't necessarily have skills. Not everybody's using the GI Bill and going to college. Not everybody's uh, going to the army after college like Howie, but they come back and they are soldiers. They have a soldier mentality and they have an us versus them mentality that is prevalent with the police now. And we're looking at that in the response. Here, I'm going to tie it back right now. See, we're looking at that in the response to protests, right? And in response like, you know, for every looter which we'll talk about in a second, and rioter, there are peaceful protesters that are getting rubber-bulleted in the face, that are getting tear-gat in the face, that are getting beaten, that are getting kicked over in the streets. I mean, you've seen the videos of these people and how the tactics roll out. And these cops, it's not, like, you know, it's not like your local sheriff. They are soldiers that have come home that have the mentality of soldiers, and they view you as the enemy. And, of course, the fear comes into that, but their training comes into it. There's brutal I am kill or be killed training it's it could be really bad but i don't know like the, did you see the atlanta video Uh oh, yeah. you have to i've seen like 25 different brutal videos lately so i'm not sure yeah they're all melting happened. to one at this point this they're, is they're the, all it's a it's this is the true melting pot of police brutality yeah this
1: is we, no. we finally made it i don't know <laughs> like maybe that's the case but i feel i, I would need I, I say this very tentatively but i feel like i've read something that actually former military actually make better police officers
0: because yeah, they're more be in right. tune.
1: Like they're more in tune to like those stressful situations. When you've been at Afghanistan, Baltimore is not that much.
0: That's true. I you guess versus, you <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. You're, but, you're not going to panic as much. That's yeah, the I, th- I feel like I've read something.
1: Like, don't quote me on that because I, it was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that's some, and it makes it kind of makes intuitive sense to me. But if I can find it, I can share it. But I think I've read something that military experience actually makes you more even.
0: I read it on army.com. Probably, <laughs> you know, while they
1: were trying to recruit me, but nevertheless, <laughs> exactly. you do have a point and it all stems to this, this like combative, like it's a war out there and that's how they treat it. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah exactly. I, I was just listening. Actually, I was just listening to some people discuss this and they say in a lot of police departments, they have a whole section for Academy recruits where they just have them watch traffic, routine traffic stops Turn into murders where the person has a gun and they shoot the police officer. While they're cadets, yeah. they're having them sit in root classrooms watching this shit on loop and <laughs> send
0: them out there. Go have fun, kids. It's like they're like <laughs> It's like that 80s cliche in like college movies where it's like the professor's like, look to your left and to your right. One of the two of you will fail. Except they're like, one of the two of you will be shot in the face by a this motorist is- and you won't see it coming. So you shoot ex- first. You be yeah. you be Han Solo. <laughs>
1: So I'm like, yeah, it's like, so maybe we should des- de-escalate the situation and lessen the interactions between police and civilians that
0: are hostile. Yeah. Well, and I think also, too, that comes to a head when we look at, so, it, you know, we, we saw the Armad uh, Armory, I'm probably saying that wrong, Arbory. Yeah, we saw that where it's like, you know, they, the, these two guys, two hillbillies shot this guy that was in a... a you know, in a neighborhood. But at the same time, there's also the video or the, the story I talked about, Brianna Taylor, right? Where we have the vests, they have the cameras, we don't see them. Uh, we have cops constantly having these, like they put all these different surveillance system and, and measures and checks and balances into place, but then they also put protections in place for the cops. And like, I don't know if you saw, but Justin Amash had introduced a bill. And this is, I think, really, if we, if there's one thing well, not one thing. If, there, if there's something really good that can come of this tangibly, I think, in the near term, it would be the Justin Amash bill, which removes that shield that police have. And I forget the name of it every time and I'm forgetting it right now, but it removes immunity qualified or immunity. Yes. Qualified, qualified immunity. immunity. Yeah. It remo- removes qualified immunity from these cops because they wear not only the shield on their chest, but they've got this shield that protects them from getting prosecuted. So they don't fear using that irrational force. They don't have to think twice if they make a mistake because they know that they're going to get a pension. They're going to be able to go and be protected by powerful police unions. And of course, all the politicians that benefit from those union donations. So, I mean, I mean what's your thought on that? And then tie in, because I want to jump also to the ways in which these cops are protected too. The coroner's report on un- George Floyd. Where, that was so. What do we want? What are we going to go first with the immunity? Yeah, go, go with immunity. Let then let's talk about this goddamn coroner report, which was unbelievable.
1: I I, I think it's a fantastic idea. I read the letter um, that Justin Amash uh, crafted, and in seeing that this was initially something like it was written by our federal government that law enforcement would be allowed to be sued for damages, and it was as. From his words, gutted in the 60s, right? It was in 1967 act. I was trying to pull it out to see if I, I, wonder, I
0: wonder what was going on in the 60s.
1: Yeah. What, what was yeah. going
0: down right in the 60s, JB? Did they take yeah. that? Did they pull that back? Weird. What a weird yeah, what coincidence. a coincidence. What a coincidence um, of time. Which, by the way, why? I mean, that's a powerful point that I think all of the protests, well, not all of the, me, you, we're, we're making it right now. That's a powerful thing to point out that in the 60s, during the height, of what's going on, big racial—well, ch- not the height. I guess the Civil War is probably <laughs> probably the height. But the, you know, <laughs> in the modern time, difference in you know racial equality and in, in bringing black people up and giving them a voice and and you know merging people and in, allowing inter- interracial uh, marriages, allowing interracial schooling—you have them change the law to give police immunity. That is something that more people need to think about.
1: Yeah, and I'm glad
0: that I'm. You see, this is the thing like, you are you need, real time reading? Cause I sent you like, we were talking about before the show, I sent them like 50 links. So I'm like, here's what we're going to be talking about in alphabetical order.
1: I was just trying to confirm the date. Yeah. 1967. It says starting in 1967, yeah. the Supreme court began gutting the law by inventing the doctrine of qualified immunity. It's like, what a coincidence, 1967, who would have thought? Yeah. Um, weird. Uh, but yeah, this is, this is a, definitely a step in the right direction to, Bring the police state reign in the police state. A certain if they're at least financially liable, and police misconduct now becomes a burden of the state because yeah. now they're paying out millions and millions of dollars for these transgressions. Then maybe we'll start seeing some change because now the there's a hole in the in, in in the you know the purse. Yeah. So I think this is a fantastic idea.
0: Well, my worry I worry about know what that, your thoughts though. on it. Well, I oh no, I think it's, I think it. it I, I just I actually didn't realize because I didn't read Justin Amash's whole letter until you just said it, I didn't realize that it was gutted and, and it had been different. I mean, this is yeah, It was the right,
1: Civil Rights Act of 1871. Uh, Congress allowed individuals to sue, sue, sue state
0: and local officials, including police officers who violate their rights. It's unbelievable that this hasn't been pointed out before now and brought to the forefront, to be honest. And uh, yeah, I think, good job, Justin Amash. Uh, happy you did not run for libertarian presidential candidate, so you can keep doing work like this. Much better idea. But, you know, it's like, that's shocking. And then, you know, we look about, you know, we're like, talking about this coroner report and removing qualified immunity. There's so many things in place to protect these people. And like you said, the, the problem is though, if people can sue the police, and this is one more, one more endorsement of privatization of the police, because then you can sue the police, that police company goes bankrupt and you bring another one in. It's not the state, it's not the taxpayers, it's not the people footing the bill because all they're going to do is raise taxes. And that's where, like, even with the looters, or not the looters, even with the rioters who are setting on fire, setting cop cars on fire, right, and destroying them, who's paying for that? You know who is? We're paying for it. We're going to pay for it.
1: Well, that's true. There is a breaking point. There, there is still going to be pressure. It, like, they can't... I imagine the powers that be won't assume raising taxes can eat all the costs. They're going to yeah. try to clamp down. If something like this happens, <laughs> no, there's I- going to be extra pressure to avoid these types of lawsuits. It's guaranteed.
0: Here's what they'll do is, remember all those civil asset uh, asset forfeiture laws that they put on the books? (laughs) Yeah. They're just going to be like, more, more of those, raise parking tickets. So I don't know. There's ways to to fill that, that hole in the purse. But tying, coming back to George Floyd... You know, we saw the coroner's report and the latest one I saw, like the first one I saw was saying something like he did not die of any sort of asphyxiation or pressure on his neck or spine. And then the latest one I said, or I saw said that he was high on fentanyl and died of a heart attack, right? This is the official coroner's report from the city that's working with the cops. And then you see the family, which thank God they did this. The family gets their own autopsy done. And the guy's like, oh yeah, he died of, you know, asphyxiation. He couldn't breathe. He was suffocated from a cop putting his knee on his spine and his neck. Like,
1: I, and and you sent. I think the article you sent said uh, it's been confirmed. The homicide has been confirmed by a second group of um, MEs. Right. So yep. now's So that was two outside. Um, yeah. Two outside autopsies that confirm a, a homicide by asphyxiation. Yep. So
0: exactly. And and I had Sandy told me. Uh, my wife told me today that they're actually looking in with a. I think a civil rights, like a formal civil rights inquiry into the Minnesota police department, which is good. And from what I've heard from people that are in Minnesota, uh, well-deserved, but I mean, here's a, here, let me, let me change topics for a minute, because one of the things I really wanted to get to with this, these riots and, and protests or riots versus protests versus looters, I'll say is I got in a big fight on Facebook with a comedian, a black comedian that I know. Uh, who came at me because I posted? I said, "If you're a looter, kill yourself." Right? And I said, "This." Yeah, story. I saw it. Uh, I was. <laughs> I, I read the thread. I read that thread in particular. Pretty well, much. Well, thank, thank you for your. Thank uh, you for your help. Um. So. Oh.
1: Not, I'm I'm always a passive observer. I don't know if you've noticed. It's the scientists in me. I don't yeah. interact. I just take notes.
0: Jamie just puts <laughs> the maze down and then tases people. and Exactly. That's what them. I do, yeah. I'm That's just That's what here I brought you on notes. this show for. Yeah, I brought you on just to electrify me for turning. I mean, legitimately, though, actually, that is why you're here, just to electrify me if I go down the wrong path, maybe. So, but I mean, so you saw this, right, but it was back and forth. And basically the point I wanted to make though, and and maybe I should have spelled this out and not just had a barely wide encompassing, if you're leading kill yourself, but the way I look at this, right, you've got legitimate protests um, and you've got riots, which, okay, protests sometimes can turn to riots. People are angry. Uh, As you said, people want to push back, right. And, and, and setting these cars on fire, these police cars and setting precincts on fire, that is, I still falls, I think falls under civil disobedience, right? You're fighting back against the state. Where it crosses the line for me, of course, is when you get into burning businesses and private ownership of, of these businesses and people's incomes and livelihoods and, uh, and that sort of thing. And I made this point to him and I made this point to other people, and I'm not, I would presume you agree, but you might not, is that I feel like this entire thing, once it turns into violence, once it turns into destruction... And even, I believe, Martin Luther King said the same thing, is that when you have a protest turn into a riot or it turns into looting, then you have the general population, which is probably behind you, right? We're in 2020. The vast majority of America is behind racial equality, at least publicly. And when you have things turn violent, while they may publicly say, yes, it's, it's justified, for the greater good, privately, what these people are saying, and the associations they're making in their minds, is I see black people on TV breaking shit and looting businesses and burning stuff. Not all black people, but they're seeing black people, and this is a black protest, uh, or centric as of the impetus. They're looking at massive destruction. They're looking around their own communities, and in the back of their heads, instead of saying, we need to stop the police state, we need to rein in government control of what's going on, we need to focus on the main issues— Now you're going to have that rebound effect of now I see these black people doing this. I'm more racist than I was before. (laughs) Now we have more police calls for police presence than before. Now we have, I saw a poll today, 71% of people supporting bringing in the national guard to walk around our neighborhoods with machine guns. So what do you think of my take on that? Is, is this going to be, is it worse off? Is it, is the rebound going to be worse off for this? Um,
1: This is, this is, um, this is it's multi multi-layered here. Um, my nickname, man. First and foremost, I don't concern myself when situations like this happen, when there's like a real uprising. And this is an uprising against the police state. This is what you're seeing here.
0: I hope you're right. Um, man. I hope you're right. And I hope it's not just a bunch of white college kids that are virtue signaling. Honestly,
1: hopefully. But at least for the last three days, this is this is at least what the protesters are about. This is what we're seeing here. Um, I, I don't I don't give I don't give the looters and the rioters um, much thought. I don't give them airtime. I don't think about them. Um, they're opportunists. Yeah. And they're not they're not involved with this movement. They're not involved with this idea. They're not involved with this thought. They're seeing an, they're seeing a situation of um, civil disruption or civil unrest and taking advantage of it. It's it's an it's opportunism from the looters part. And it's also opportunism on the people's on the powers that be the people who don't want to see change, take that and hold on to that on the looters to ignore all the peaceful protesters and the point of why this looting and the fires began in the first place. The minute that some someone crosses that line. And it's almost inevitable when you have this level of civil unrest. Mm -hmm. A lot of libertarians like to talk a big game about, you know, the boogaloo and what happens. But when shit starts going down, it's going to get very ugly. I hope everyone realizes that. Right. This is so like this is an unfortunate consequence of civil unrest. And to focus on the looting and the rioting and and give that all the time in the airplay takes away from the fact of what caused this in the first place well exactly this is is a backlash against the police state and opportunists and i'll say frankly racists Mm -hmm. take this as an opportunity to look at what's a real inherent problem that people are peacefully protesting about
0: and devalue it right but that's that's what i'm saying though is that's my problem with you know the, the guy i was arguing with he was defending looting right? He was basically saying, well, that's out of bounds. I don't defend looting. I I know. I know you don't because you're a a rational. I don't
1: defend the taking of someone's
0: private property. (laughs) You're a rational thinking human being, but, but we're seeing like, I mean, I follow like the hotep, you know, hotep crew on Twitter. And I actually agree with a lot of what they have to say, but hotep Jesus is out there today and he's defending, you know, looting Nike stores. And they, you know, like this comedian was defending looting. And it's like, to me, it just is the epitome of counterproductive. And like you're saying, the people use that. Like, it's like these people don't think to the next level of, if, if I allow it. And like, granted, the rioters and the protesters are not the same as the looters. They are opportunists. A lot of the looters are literally uh, mafia, they're gangs, or they're straight up opportunist criminals who are following in. And what's been happening is they're following behind the protest and breaking shit. And I saw some amazing stuff. Like, I saw you the link in Philadelphia, your hometown, where honestly, I mean, I thought it was very moving. And I was like, I was like, you know, it was a brave guy. Like, being brave is not going out with um, 100,000 other people and carrying a placard. That's good, right? Great, fine. You support the cause. That's not brave. What's brave was these motherfuckers. And this one guy, I mean, he was Hulk big, so he's not scared of much. I don't know if you saw the one guy, <laughs> like, it's like a, a black dude, it's like kind of like longish, hair, but I mean, he was like jacked, like, no, f- with that guy. But he's like, you know, they blocked this target, they're like, don't loot f- target. We live here, this is our neighborhood, this is not what we're about, and this is going to make everybody look bad. It makes the movement look bad, and he's exactly right, like, that's bravery. Standing up and saying this is what we stand for, and we're not going to allow you to subvert it. We're not going to allow you to take advantage of it. We're not going to let you benefit off of it for your own personal gain. And I just don't think we're seeing enough of that. And instead, like I said, what we're seeing is coverage of looting uh, because that's the thing that people are going to see the next day. They're not going to see that's know-
1: what that's what that's what serves the agenda uh, yeah. on a lot on a lot of on a lot of bounds. They've already apprehended one one Minnesota cop who was breaking some AutoZone windows. Turning this into, yeah, yeah, turning this into a criminal act- activity in, instead of a an uprising against a police state is exactly what the powers would be that wants. Yeah. Let, me get, let me tell you a story. Do you know the first riot I remember, I have a clear memory of in my life? I don't the know. 36.
0: It, maybe it was mine because it, mine was the, the LA riots with Ronnie King. That was no. my, That's
1: my real It's first. not 90, 92, right? The LA riots. No. 92 is not, yeah, it was, oh, it was my the first, last time that the, that the National
0: Guard was deployed.
1: Yeah, my first clear memory of a riot was the 1994 Vancouver Stanley Cup final riot. Do you remember this? I'm from Long Island so there's a lot of Rangers fans, The Vancouver Canucks, the Vancouver Actually, yeah, Canucks played the New remember. York Rangers yeah. in the Stanley Cup finals in 1994. I remember this clearly. This was when I was becoming a, a um a hockey fan and a Devils fan in particular because I was an Islanders fan and and I hated the Rangers because of that. And I cheered for every team that played the Rangers to beat them. And the Devils played them in the Eastern Conference Finals in that year and lost in Game 7. And I became a Martin Brodeur fan because I, I like to play goalie in street hockey. <laughs> and that's why I'm a Devils fan, even though I'm from New York, in case anyone gave a shit.
0: Well, I'm a Flyers but, fan from Philly, and the Devils yeah. suck, and
1: the Rangers suck, and the Islanders suck. So there you But go. nevertheless, the Canucks lost in Game 7 to the New York Rangers in 94 and tore their city apart. Yeah, broke, broke their windows. Main Street destroyed fires, turning cars on fire. I was shocked. This was a hockey game. Yeah, I could not believe what I was seeing as an 11 year old. Maybe no, I was still 10 at that point, point. 10 years old in fifth grade, watching these hockey fans tear their city apart because their team lost. Mm-hmm. But you know what I didn't do after I saw that riot? Think that all white people were animals because the vast majority of people in Vancouver who are hockey fans are white. Yeah. I didn't but, think there were animals. I didn't think hockey was bad. I didn't stop watching but JB, hockey but you're because also, it
0: foments riots. But you're not, you not an f- idiot. Don't, I don't but you're not an f- idiot. And you're not, people, and you're not <laughs> and you're, not the guy that, and you're not a f- guy <laughs> f- one you're not a f- idiot. And number two, <laughs> some people are just more predisposed to to gut reactions like look, I will point you to the election of Donald Trump, which I knew was going to happen. I told people it was going to happen because people in the back of their heads, like immigration was the issue at the time and, and you know, I- American economy, right? White jobs lost. That was what Trump ran on. That's what he won on. And I knew, I said, people are going to talk a big game. They're going to say that he's bad. They're going to say he's wrong. They're going to say he's racist. And then they're going <laughs> to vote for him because in the back of their heads, they're thinking, you know what, he's right. And that's, I fear the same thing. I fear that people, fear-based, Right are going to, in the back of their heads, go, this thing blew up real fast. I'm terrified. I want more cops. I don't agree with the Black Lives Matter movement. And now it's tainted in their minds because it's tying together uh, black violence and militarism and, and bringing in the National Guard. And that's what people are going to remember. And I, I maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. You're, but that's you're not, really what I'm worried about. You're probably not wrong.
1: And the only thing I could say to that is just be better. Like, yeah just like I can acknowledge. That's why I told that story. Just like I can like you can separate this extraneous violence and absurdity from the real problem. I didn't stop becoming a hockey fan because some people were idiots like just people are taking advantage of a serious situation. And that's all that it is. If you let this cloud your mind and cloud your opinion and make bad choices, I can't help you. All I can say is be better. Yeah. I can't stop this. This is an unfortunate consequence of civil unrest.
0: Well, this is question, what I'm saying. Here's a fascinating question for you: Antifa. We already know is made up of 99 percent white kids. Uh, Antifa has been blamed for really kicking up the rioting, right? And also, we're seeing piles of bricks around these cities. I've been, I've been hearing. I've been hearing these rumors, dude. There's, seeing, picture, there's
1: pictures I've everywhere. Them, yeah. It's, Crazy. I've been trying over. to track them down. I can only find Infinity. like two instances. They've had excuses for them. This is all conjecture. Like
0: Well, the I, one like, that was the one that was a pile of bricks in the middle of an intersection, not conjecture.
1: <laughs> well, no, no. I'm saying like it's always like the, the only the two instances I could track down an explanation for. Yeah. So they've been there for years. I can't verify any of them.
0: Right, you yeah. Know? Well, that's it. and this is, and again, I'm throwing out just, this is a random, random idea. But yeah, it's like, I I look at the, because we're talking about how it only helps the establishment. It helps the police state. It helps the war state. It helps the powers that be who want to assure us that we have their safety in mind and you sacrifice safety for liberty. And uh, the the fact that these bricks are out there, I don't know. I mean, it's very interesting. It goes along with, even though the Antifa's, like I said, I think definitely involved in kicking these things up and breaking I'll I, have do, to s- I don't know. I wonder. It's just a weird coincidence. All I have to, to say to this, to know
1: that, to know that this is, this is a, this is state sanctioned. It's, it's. It doesn't take. It doesn't take a f- genius to tell the difference between a peaceful protester and someone who's stealing from a. F- store right the fact that you can't <laughs> stop those people and let the others go tells me that you're letting this happen for
0: a reason right and and especially when you look at how the police are treating protesters right they're ramming people with the cars that are standing there i don't know if you saw the video of the girl who got like thrown down in the street it's horrific the way they're acting and it's everything the police are really showcasing everything that that this riot is fighting against Hey, what a perfect time for a little commercial break to remind you about our friends at NorthSpokaneCBD.com. They have been supporters of this show for a long time. They have everything you need for CBD needs for you, for your pet, for your loved ones. And the good news is, guys, that you can get 15% off with the promo code Lions. Yes, promo code Lions. NorthSpokaneCBD.com. Hey, if you're going to be home, stuck here, waiting for the rioting to stop, you might as well feel okay. NorthSpucaneCBD.com. All right, we're rolling. Sorry, guys, I had to take a quick break because my gardener came, as I knew he would, right in the middle of the podcast. But we're going to record through it, so apologies if there's a little bit of noise in the background. JB's time is precious. He is a doctor of science, after all. And now a doctor of racial philosophy as well, as are we all in the current day and age. That's fine. I'll put a commercial break in there. So anyway, we left off at Antifa and piles of bricks in the streets, right? Yeah, that's where we were. Okay. So you were looking into the question of, you know, so Trump declared Antifa a terrorist organization or he, on Twitter. He Twitter declared, right? So we were trying to figure out if it's a thing he could actually do or not.
1: I, I still haven't found this out. Um, I don't know what you know. I don't know if there's there's no like real legal definition, as far as I know, of what a terrorist organization is. Uh, yeah. how, what, at least from the executive, like what does that
0: mean? Like well, that's the thing. Well, again, tying it into state power, right? There is no like the definition was made a more amorphous, and again to show the expansion of state power under a black president versus a white president. Barack Obama was really leading the way as far as making this amorphous definition of terrorism and expanding it to include domestics, right? Because he said, you're a uh, something like a a domestic actor or an enemy combatant, right? So that's what Barack Obama had said. If you're an enemy combatant, you could be killed home or abroad, doesn't matter. I thought under the official declaration of terrorism, it would be, as far as an organization, not a person, it has to be foreign. Now, how hard that is to change, I'm sure it's very easy, especially with what's going on right now. Maybe he'll get pushback from the House, but I don't, I mean, I just don't know if legally if he has the authority to do it or if he needs it because I think he's already already drawn upon the Insurrection Act, right, that was last used in the Rodney King riots like we talked about.
1: Yeah, so it seems like as far as the books are concerned, it's really only foreign entities that yeah. it, you can legally declare terrorism there's no domestic terrorism law
0: so well, here's how um, the, here's the here's the workaround for that you go okay george soros gave money to antifa george soros is a terrorist ban antifa's terrorism but isn't george soros an american citizen I, I think he's isn't he no i thought he was a i know he's like greek fuck was he am greek? i yeah. making that up uh no he's de- he's definitely not an American uh sit well he might be an american citizen he maybe he got citizenship but he's not from america he's not from the united states no
1: i know he's not from america but i thought he was an american citizen and i thought he still
0: lived abroad i didn't think he lived here Eh, that doesn't Uh, matter this is very off topic either way but yeah so antifa i mean do you think that antifa should be designated a terrorist organization let me ask you that antifa is not really an organization
1: I think that's the first problem. What they're, they're is their anti- terrorist cells? <laughs> yeah, like at at best, you might be able to call them that. It's it's almost like a QAnon thing. It's just a, a banner that whoever wants to decide to pick up on the internet can. Yeah. So that's yeah, kind of this sure. a and and to allow the government to declare something that nebulous as a terrorist organization is pretty much giving them license to crackheads on whoever they want.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, this, it's, the classic, like, it's, it's, it's like the classic no, slippery slope. Yeah, like exactly. Lions, I don't. The Lions of Liberty could easily be declared a terrorist organization for uh, inspiring. Like, it's actually worse than that because we actually
1: have detailed like clear members of who the Lions <laughs> of Liberty are. We are True. far more of an organization than fucking Antifa is.
0: The entire like, Lions of Liberty pride <laughs> is going to get raided tonight. Yeah,
1: we're an actual organization. They're like, going to get Duncan un-
0: Lemp. <laughs> Watch out, you Duncan Lemp's out there. Not to make light of Duncan Lemp, of course. Horrible story of police uh, murdering a man in cold blood. But yeah, no, it's, a, it's, a, it's an excellent point. And that's why like, even though I hate Antifa with every, every fiber of my being, I hate, hate Antifa. I agree. You cannot make them, uh, te- you cannot officially label them a terrorist organization. But and, and think about, like to your point, the expansion of government power to be able to track down these people online, right? Now, because they're associated with a, a quote-unquote terrorist group, it's just going to open up all the, all the NSA spying restrictions. Yeah, this is just to license through.
1: just to do whatever they want. Yeah, goodbye this to This is those. what
0: this is, yeah, because
1: we don't know who Antifa is, so yeah. we have to spy on everyone.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's like because Atifa's
1: party. not a real organization; it can be any of us.
0: And, and here's so, the beauty. <laughs> and here's the beauty, JB. It's like you know, the FBI used in their in the NSA spying, they use like the hop system, where it was like if you made a phone call to a guy, they could do two hops from there and and like look and spy on everybody in those circles, right? Think about the internet with how many people people follow on Twitter and interact with randomly. You can now literally follow the world. Like the yes. world with two hops from from people following. Like you, one guy with a uh, seven million followers. You respond to him. Now the NSA gets fine, on anybody.
1: Yeah, that's yeah, that's just a power grab. I'm not impressed to say
0: the least. <laughs> Agreed completely. Um, uh, let's move on. I want to talk about. So I, I talked about the. Well, actually, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Let's talk about the concept of where do you fall on. It's a, a few bad apples, right? And we talk about police departments, and and we I think we'll both agree, point blank. You can't ever say these whole people, like all of these people in this group, or all of these people that do this one job, are bad people. We're not saying that. We can agree on that. But do you agree with this argument that the police that are doing this are a few bad apples, or is this something where it is systematic? And I and a caveat, I roll my eyes when I see. People talk about systematic racism, but at the same level, I acknowledge that on some level it without a doubt exists. But like I said earlier, it's the impact that that would have. And I I don't agree with the impact that some people give it credit for while acknowledging for sure. It's a thing for sure. It happens. I believe it happens on a much lower level, but is it a few bad apples versus systematic?
1: Well, it, it depends on what you're talking about. It's the there's a few bad apples. Those those few those few bad apples are bad because of the system The there there is systemic racism. Just what what we what what people call systemic racism that you might bristle against is just the fact that racism is just an inherent nature of being. And the people in power generally are not black.
0: So yeah. And, and then and and for, of course they're incentivized as are all people in power to maintain their,
1: and, power. and it's not, it's no secret. And I love when people say like, one of my favorite things is like slavery ended a hundred something years ago, like disregarding all the ridiculousness that's happened since, since slavery's ended yeah. and, and re uh, and like the Jim Crow laws and stuff like that. It's like, it, it benefits, it benefits, um, the people who want to control you to have a permanent underclass. The yeah. greatest example I can give with that is the way that Jews were treated in Europe for like the thousand years up until World War II. If you stretch from 1945 until like 1045, every time something bad happens, it's yeah. a Jew's fault. It's always great, the power, it's always great for the powers to be to have a permanent underclass. And yeah. that's what black yeah, people in exactly. the United States are.
0: Well, and i would say, I mean, is that, do you think that black people are still that permanent underclass in the United States right now? Do you think that that's transitioned? That's only if you think Latinos? we, do we,
1: we, you think we've transit? Do you think we, you think
0: Latinos are? No, I'm, I don't I've actually, so. I've never thought about this in my life. I'm, I'm literally, just because we were talking about that permanent underclass, I'm, I'm wondering if that is transitioned or not. And also, I mean, from my perspective, and you know this perspective too, um, you know, I feel that. Black people, I, I, I would agree with you that black people are still uh, considered the underclass in America or designed to be because of actions taken by government. I feel that governments put a lot of black people in a box, and, and, which it is insanely hard to escape. And I'm
1: just going to jump in for, yeah. just to finish oh, my yeah, thought. Please. And yeah, that status sorry. as the underclass strongly, overwhelmingly influences our interaction with the police. No, exactly it clouds right. everything. That's where that's the system. That's where the systemic but, in the racism. That, comes. That's, that's where the system comes. Well, that's, that's the system sword, there. Right, the, that's the system
0: and systemic of, of quote bad apples. Right, there's the okay. double edged sword. Is that if it's black people, a few black people do something up and the police go well jesus we got to profile everybody we are overreacting and now everybody that's black we pull out the gun immediately that because of those quote-unquote few bad apples right but those are blown into and exaggerated into this entire race of people and on the other side the quote-unquote few bad apples of the police department oh well that's just 0.001 percent right it's like it's an incredible double standard Of course
1: it is. And it all. And there's not much you can do about it because I'm not suggesting I have no I have no solutions to change culture. But what we can do and what we're talking about with the few bad apples is just raise the bar for becoming a police officer. I seriously think as a culture, as a society, we underestimate how important and serious the role of police officer, the type of power we give these individuals are the bar to become one. is just too f***ing low. Oh, yeah. Like for sure. like they have the power of life over death, over the
0: citizenry and yeah. like and it's a lot of people's fallback. They're like, well, I can always it's like <laughs> Mahoney in Police Academy movies. I mean, it's not far from the truth. Like the
1: like we need to take this job more seriously for the power we bestow on these individuals. Yeah. The bar needs to be
0: raised. Well, and, you know, to that point, it needs to be raised not only externally, not only from the point of who becomes a cop, but also from the point of internally Cops protect other cops, right? You're like that's just a thing that happens. It's been well documented. And I saw a great tweet, and I apologize if the guys listening to it to, that said this. It was it was somebody with many more followers on Twitter than me. But he goes, look, <laughs> you know. But he goes, look, if you have ten bad cops and you have a thousand good cops who do nothing about those ten bad cops, you have a thousand and ten bad cops. And I could not agree with that statement more. Yeah. I mean, you are about- the police, after all. Yeah, who's yeah, going to pol- police? Like you're police supposed to the police. police. Yeah, yes. you need to police the police. You're the only ones here to yeah, do it. Like, give me a give me a, a up in here, man. Like Jesus Christ. That's why it- that the bad apples
1: is your job is too important. I think Chris Rock. I saw something floating around Facebook comparing bad apples. Imagine like United came out and said like 10 percent of their pilots were. <laughs> drunk assholes who didn't know how to land. Like, would you fly with that company? Like you can't have a small percent. Certain jobs are too important to have bad apples in.
0: Yeah. That's you know? a great that's a great analogy. I mean honestly, because yeah. exactly. And those pilots, like 10% of those pilots, maybe they can still kind of land. But yeah, you're talking life or death. You're talking people and not only life and death, but you're talking generational impact of of police decisions. You're talking putting people in prison from over policing, ruining entire families, ruining entire futures. Like I've said this on the show many times, the number one indicator in upward social mobility is an intact family unit that, and and it's not close. You can give somebody as much money as you want. It's the intact family unit and policing breaks families up. Period. The drug war breaks families up. Over policing neighborhoods breaks up. Both Bull- three strike rules, which Joe Biden, of course, is complying and breaks families up. It's just it's just had to in- sneak that dig in I, there. I did because <laughs> Joe Biden, man. It's like it's I mean Trump too. them both. But it's just it just aggravates me that they're like, oh, Joe Biden would never uh Joe Biden would he's on the side of the black community. It's like, no, no, he was very uh no. very agreeable to putting all of you in, no. in jail. But Let's see. I want to move on to one more thing. So we talked about, and I sent you this story too. I love seeing, love, love seeing uh, people protecting stores. I like seeing black Americans protecting stores, holding guns and saying, look, do what you're going to do. Protest. We're with you, but you're not going to come in here, rob this store. And I also think that I saw a guy, uh, and it might've been the story I sent you, but a prominent uh, figure. And I, I can't remember his name because of the Scotch. But he has a nickname he calls himself, and I can't remember if it's in Philly or or maybe Boston, but he's a guy leading a group of well-armed black men, and their goal is to be armed and to defuse situations with the police. And you know how that happens? Is by being well-armed. You have, if you're a group of people with AR-15s, you are not going to be intimidated by cops. And they don't want to accept they don't want to jump that interaction up to the next level because then everybody can dies. And that's the thing with yeah. the monopoly of violence, is like people the irony is like all these people marching right now, right? All these allies, quote unquote allies of the black community are out there marching, are the same people that want to take away gun rights and make it impossible to get a gun, which is the one thing that is really gonna even the goddamn playing field and put the police state in check. I I agree
1: but i have i've heard do you know we we should bring up at least a liberal argument to that okay go ahead. um the liberal argument to that uh, uh, because this is in news is talking that like the 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 policing in this country is so aggressive particularly in the black community because of the the propensity of guns if we could magically make all the guns disappear which i it's not possible then that would automatically reduce the um, I guess the warlike nature of policing in this country—if they're not so—if they—they don't anticipate that any person they pull over or encounter has a firearm.
0: See, number one, and I know you already know these arguments. Number one, all the—I'm the playing people, devil's advocate here. I, I know, we no, need to, I know, because I, I know you are. Because
1: these things, like I think, I think, I think about it from the perspective someone's listening to this show and yeah. thinking about these ideas. We should talk about the other side, so. Thinking, <laughs> I agree. So, so and we, I think
0: I think we've done a good job. I'm going out of my way because I want to share the show. I want people to listen to it because uh, I think it's going it's giving very insightful perspectives. And I love having you on because you're you're a very very uh, intellectual guy with very deep thought out arguments. And that's what I love ha- talking to you about this stuff. Um, it's not just surface, but at the same time, right? You we already know that people that have guns that are that have a propensity for guns, people that are already forced into the criminal system because of over-policing, because of the drug war, because of, of all these other circumstances, they're going to get a gun no matter what. And the people that get killed that have guns in the black community that are probably the ones that are being over or that are, are fighting with the cops predominantly in, in bad neighborhoods are probably not people that legally purchase those firearms anyway. The thing is, the cops know that. And if the cops knew that people had ability to buy legal guns all the time, then you're not just finding people that are you know, already been in jail, that, have, uh, that are on street corners, that are, that are involved in illicit activities because they have to be because they're forced into it by the state. Now, everybody has them. They're all legal. So instead of going up expecting to be shot because the person's a criminal with an illegal weapon, now you go up and you go, this guy, probably armed to protect himself, probably armed legally, and I should presume every one of these people is armed legally. Thus, I'm not going to overreact and expect to be shot. Whereas I feel now, they're automatically presuming criminal illegal firearm.
1: Oh, I like that. Strong.
0: Ooh, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sometimes drinking all this whiskey and podcasting gives you a clarity of thought. And, uh, yeah, man, so we could keep going longer. But the one thing I wanted to hit on, too... And then I want to hear just in general kind of if you have anything else to add to this, I want to hear like, you know, feel free to rant and, and, and rant at me and whatever you want to say uh, for conversation. But Nickelodeon, this really pissed me off today. Number, not only Nickelodeon, but I've seen all these corporations, right? Corporations, uh, individuals, social media campaigns, all that kind of shit, right? they're all posting and and all sending out these messages. And I got a message from Peloton that was like, we support George Floyd and we support racial equality. Right. And I, even though I agree with them, I responded to them on the email and I told them to off and not to email me this (laughs) because even if I agree with you, I don't need Peloton preaching to me about racial equality. It's not your place. So today, I see that Nickelodeon, right? Last night, all the Viacom stations ran a, first they ran, uh, you know, I guess, some little thing like Nickelodeon ran a thing that said, here's our children's bill of rights or something like that. Then they played eight minutes plus of heavy breathing. And it kind of sounded like, it's just like, <gasps> right? Eight minutes with a flashing text over and over that said, I can't breathe for eight and a half minutes. Now there was no warning about this going in. It just happened, and you saw a lot of people on social media said, "Oh my God, Nickelodeon! You were so meaningful. Thank you." I'm pissed, and the reason I'm pissed is not because I don't think a network should be able to do that. I, I I would be fine with any network other than Nickelodeon or Disney doing it. But my problem, and this is where I want to hear your take on it, is when you have. Very uh, material that could be legitimately traumatizing, right? And people will say this is good because children have to hear about it and parents have to talk to their children about it. But these people don't know how old the kids are. It's been proven that trauma, including traumatic events, this type of thing, uh, incidents of just any sort of real trauma on developing brains can really damage a kid and cause long-lasting problems. Do you think that they are entitled and right and that it's justifiable to run something like this because corporate responsibility, or because the network believes in it, and take that out of the hands of the parents. Well, that's loaded. Um. <laughs> so am I. Right. So am I by now. I
1: have to. I have to start off by saying this disclaimer. I don't have children. I don't know what it's like to be a parent and have to raise a kid and mold a child in my image of whatever you breeders do just to use that term. <laughs> I've never used that term before. I think this is the first time in my life. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Nevertheless, um, if I don't know, I can't speak to the trauma of the, the commercial. I'm, I'm looking at this right now, It, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's helpful for yeah. let me go from two ways, um, one from the corporate perspective and one from the child's perspective. And uh, let well, was feel what was the so I'm only speaking for myself, of course, yeah. uh, from a corporate perspective. I'm you. Kn- you've known me for a long time. I'm 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 a pretty cynical person. Uh, it, I, <laughs> That's what I love I'll, about you. Yeah, I'll be I'll, it, I'll be hard pressed to see any corporation um, making any type of statement or um, like su- show of support or solidarity that isn't motivated and groomed by a team of PR right. and mauled over in some corporate boardroom. Everything that a corporation does that has to do with these types of things always rings hollow to me, full stop, regardless right. and, of who's doing
0: it. Right, it's crazy so, right, like, that, you know, people, like, that people <laughs> accept this. So and, and the Babylon yeah. Bee, sorry to interrupt you, I'll, I'll yeah. let you go again. The Babylon Bee had a great kind of a uh, joke on this where they're like Denny's announces its new anti-fascism omelet and it had like you know all these white people lined up to get it and yep. it's like yeah it's like it's hard to these people just accept it like oh so beautiful meanwhile the rest of us are making jerk off motions
1: yeah for me for a corporation doing this sometimes there's a hit sometimes there's a miss but it's always calculated yeah and I don't like that and I don't need to see it they're like you say they're well within their rights to do it and there's a lot of people in society that expect it from them who make up their consumer base. So I can understand from a business standpoint, why they might want to do these types of things. That makes sense to me, but they don't resonate with me.
0: Well, the um, problem I have with this specifically though, is like, right. So we, as libertarians were like, yeah, you could do what you want private company. Like you look at the non-aggression principle though, and you know, kind of do no harm. And I look at this and, and again, I have no, I can't say definitively, and this was arguing with people on Twitter before I quit social media for the day. I can't say definitively that this damaged somebody. I don't know. My my kid's not old enough. She wasn't watching Nickelodeon at the time. I can't say if it would have damaged her or not. But that's the problem is nobody can. And I have people coming back and arguing with me and saying, "Well, look, this is important because you will have you're forced to talk to your kids about it. And this happens to children. You know, black children grow up afraid."
1: And it's that, that that was sec- that was but, my second. Oh, that was my second point. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that was my second point. Um. And this, that was first from the corporation aspect. From the child aspect, I don't know who these people are in terms of children and how old they are. A child, like probably 10, 11, up until 12, maybe, I don't think this will do much good. Racism in this country isn't about burning crosses on granny's lawn anymore, it's a much more nuanced conversation that I don't think an eight year old can have after watching this this art piece that they put on a Nickelodeon. I don't think they're ready. And as a person, as a black person in this country, I started, I started understanding what, what it meant to be black in this country, probably around middle school, 13, about going into high school, 12, 13. That's when I really started like understanding history, reading history, re- like actually watching the news and understanding the news. I started getting a, a full understanding of what it means to be black in this country. And as you just mentioned it, yeah, it damaged me. I'll say that. It damaged me. It, it caused me anxiety. It caused me anger growing up as a kid. I, I think I said this in one podcast a long, long time ago. Growing black in this country is almost like a mental illness. The minute you realize what it means to be black in this country when and it's young. I'm talking about like middle school. I'm saying this. You're not, you're not a grown-up. I'm talking about like 12, 13. It affects you. Yeah. It starts right then. So um Maybe for a, a person of that age, a white person of that age that might be in, in an area not like Long Island, that's pretty ethnically diverse, doesn't even know any black people. We are a minority. There's vast swaths of this country where there are no black people.
0: Yeah, there, there's so places the, where college yeah. athletics are the only black people these people will see yeah. in their lifetime.
1: <laughs> so I'm saying for a certain demographic, like what I had to deal with it when I was 12 and it didn't kill me. It changed my perspective, but I also have to live with it for the rest of my life teaching people who never have to interact with anyone who doesn't look like them, that this is going on at an early age, I think probably you give them a pretty good head start, And I think you can handle it 12, any less. I don't think you'll understand it at all. That's why I'm a little skeptical on damage. I think this is too nuanced and complicated. There's a point where you don't even understand what's going on to the point where it's probably time when you should be processing this.
0: Right. Well, that's, and that's kind of where I'm coming from is, you know, people are the, the argument people are making is that children need to know about this. It's happening. And, you know, to your point, I, and like I said, I'm fine with it. Network TV, any other thing, just not children's television where you don't know the age of the people. And like, I could send you this link I found because in the work that I do with this foster care nonprofit, there's a lot of damage that happens between zero and five. And it's cause it's your, that's like the height of brain development where really there's a lot going on and a lot can go very wrong with it. And a lot of these kids in the foster care, uh, out in Los Angeles are, you know, they're they're minorities, number one, and they're uh, coming from very dysfunctional households. So these people have de- experience trauma already. But the problem is when you have something, and, and granted, their trauma is worse than seeing something on TV. But the thing that, that people don't realize and we can't necessarily quantify is when you see something like that, right? When you're not prepared for it. And this is my problem with, you know, the libertarian perspective, like they can do whatever they want as a private network, is that when you don't have a forewarning, right? it's not on the schedule to say racially charged, intentionally terrifying message. Because it was intended to be intimidating. It's like, like I said, heavy it, yeah, breathing. Yeah, it's,
1: it's intended to. It's, it's intended it, it's, to scare. It's, and, and, yeah, and it's provoke. illicit a response. is visceral. It's not like, you know. Yeah.
0: It, it's not a casual thing like, hey, be no. nice. And, and for me, that can cause. But well, we don't know. I don't know. But I'd rather have parents be able to say, look, I don't want my young child that's had a developing brain to have trauma from seeing it. It's like, I can remember shit from when I was really young that still sticks in my brain to this day. To this day. Do you remember a movie called The Last Unicorn, JB? do you ever see that movie? Animated film?
1: No, I don't think so. Okay. The title sounds vaguely familiar.
0: It's, so it was not uh, as frou-frou as one would imagine. It wasn't like a My Little Pony. It was like a really weird kind of swords and sorcery animated movie. And I saw it when I was really little. And I remember to this day because I had nightmares about it for years. There was a skull on top of a clock in this movie, and that skull haunted my dreams for five, ten years. I still remember to this day. It's really embedded in me. So I can't say, and nobody can say, what affects you? What ingredients? I mean, children literally could be traumatized by this heavy breathing. They don't know what these kids have gone through. Like, you know, our buddy uh, Ben, uh, who's Liberty Hippie, from the uh, Homesteads and Homeschools podcast, he made a point like he has foster children that he adopted. He goes, "Yeah, well, one of my foster kids saw his mother get choked. That's what he. This is what this kid's hearing. It's it's just something you can't justify the potential trauma to say that. Well, people should hear about it. And what I told people is like, how is this different from then playing audio of uh, a, a theatrical rape, a, a reproduced rape for somebody, and saying, you know." please stop over the screen, over the sound. No, it's, no, it's no
1: different at all. It's, it's the exact same. The, it's the exact it's a, same thing. It's the
0: exact same thing. Like, and, but yeah. again, If you say that to people, they go, oh God, no. But it's the same thing. It's the same justification. It's the same logic.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, like I said, I can't speak, I can't speak to the trauma. I just, like, if anything, like, Even if like I can't speak to that, the very fact I don't think that it'll be effective for those children who could potentially be traumatized by it. They're already too young to even understand the nuances of this conversation to get go. It's not worth it. So, so I think saying, it was a mistake. So you're saying yeah.
0: that our zero to five podcast listeners are a joke, JB, because that's at yeah. least percent of our audience. Yeah, they the don't have enough gray matter to we're like we're like CNN. We're like CNN. <laughs> <laughs> you know how CNN plays at airports? We have a deal where we play in every preschool. <laughs> you keep them docile. Okay. Our last question to wrap up uh, what has been a very enjoyable uh, podcast as always. Charged question. Interesting question though. And of course okay. you are, this is just you and not every person out there. When you see, uh, people posting black squares on Instagram, when you see long diatribes written by, uh, ostensibly people, white people that are very privileged, uh, that you arguably could ha- have not dealt with much diversity in their lives, writing scribes saying that they re- support people of color and, uh, or sharing their interactions. I remember one cringeworthy one from a comedian friend that said, and again, I, I don't necessarily this, said she was walking down the street and a homeless man uh, was walking down the street, a black homeless man, and she said she'd always tried to smile on him. And this one day he turned to her with tears in his eyes and he said, why do you hate us? And she said, ignorance and intolerance. Just, I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm saying it sounds like, okay i'm sorry is this is this a screenplay or writing but anyway sorry gave back the point jb does that how do you feel about that is it something that you take it <laughs> you say thank you for being thank you for supporting me and black america or do you roll your eyes or are you somewhere in between
1: like i feel like on in, in everything in the first of the earth i'm i maybe it's my, my buddhist background i'm always looking for the middle path you know um yeah. it's, it's I, knew you, a, I
0: knew you'd cop out yeah it's always a,
1: it, Like, this whole world is a shade of gray. That's how I see it. People who deal with absolutes, you're already starting off the wrong foot if you deal with absolutes. I say this all the time. Like, I I very rarely ever deal in absolutes. The the
0: world is a shade of gray. That's how I see it. Um, Well, let's get a little bit more nuanced then. Let me ask you this. So how many times have you seen, let's say when these things happen, of the interactions you have online, of the things you see happen, like we're talking about corporate America, we're talking about uh, social movements, we're talking about online social media movements, of what you see, how much of it do you say, okay, you know what, good, uh, I respect that, I appreciate that, and how much of it makes you roll your eyes and go, you're f- jumping on to virtue signal and this is just a bunch of horseshit. it's not really, and I know when when it comes down to brass tacks, you're not going to be there to help. And, and this is all just making you feel better to get likes
1: where we are you just said this is just me right harkening back to the just fact you. this is just yeah harkening yeah. back to the fact that I am a cynic at heart I do think there's a substantial amount of people who um, take this as an opportunity to I guess quote-unquote virtue signal but if I want to take it from an objective viewpoint even if their motives aren't pure I don't like contributing to the conversation at least in volume is beneficial. I think at virtual signaling at this point is is better than silence. And I'm silent. It's not like I you, you you you're Twitter and Facebook friends with me. I'm not going on no. long screeds.
0: No, you never I, write anything. Yeah, ever. I don't write anything.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm like I I might as well not have these things. And actually, the only like I only go on Facebook like. You're like, an, on, you're like an you're like an inform really, sometimes why yeah. even have a dick. <laughs> so it's like so I think that like my worldview, independent of me being a black person and being, you know, a complete cynic, I tend to look negatively on some. By of the way, you just said
0: you were a white person there.
1: Cynic, I said. <laughs> no, you Did said, I say
0: white? You said I'm a white person and a cynic.
1: <laughs> no, I said apart oh, maybe I misspoke. Apart from being a black person. That's our clip. That's my, that's my promo clip for the show. <laughs> As a cynic, I, I, my, my visceral reaction is that this person is showboating. But I think that has something to do with me. You know, I, I don't know for a fact. There's always this uncertainty. This person might be sincere. They might not be. But either way, they're contributing to our narrative about something that I support when I'm not really willing to do so. So I feel
0: hard-pressed to judge. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm with you there. I am also a huge cynic. And I, I feel that... My my problem with all of this is that so much of it is fluff. So much of it is virtue signaling. That kind That's of like I said with the riots and the looters and the rebound, right? The mental rebound of people that would uh, ostensibly be for the cause and then go, oh, f- this. I worry that, like me, I now my instant reaction and shame on me, honestly, it's because I'm too cynical and I'm too jaded at this point, just from from maybe doing this so long. But when I see these type of things on social media. My immediate initial reaction is not, ah, oh, cool, okay. My initial reaction is, get the f*** out of here. Like will add to that. How many, my, how many of me are out there that would usually be on the cause and now have been so annoyed by social bull**** and that you're like, yeah, oh, f*** off for everything.
1: That's the thing. That's I was. Just, I'll add to that. It doesn't. It doesn't annoy me because I'm not as angry as the illustrious Brian McWilliams. Not much. <laughs> That's why you don't have your own show. You, yeah. That's I'm why you don't very, have your own show. I'm not a very angry person, <laughs> so it doesn't annoy me. But it doesn't do anything for me. I'll I'll, I'll th- toss my wife in there. You know, on Instagram, everyone's changing like their their profile to black or something like that. She asked me if I was wanted to do it. I was like, I was like, no. Like I don't do things like that. Full right. stop. It's like I don't need to prove that. I, I think black lives matter'm i black first Thank of you. all, and second of all it's like when I see this, it doesn't do anything for me because it doesn't do anything yes. it doesn't change anything yes. it doesn't it doesn't change it, it doesn't do anything it's like it's just all it all it does is make you feel better about yourself for like two minutes, yep. and then you can move on you's like, okay, I've done something, but that's that's a nothing to me. It's like, it doesn't, it doesn't resonate with the, with the powers that be doesn't resonate with the police state, doesn't resonate with the commissioner of Philadelphia. They don't know whether you did it
0: or you did not It doesn't do anything. Yeah. I, I, that's, that's more or less you, you perfectly encapsulated my feeling too, is that I think that people that do this stuff are trying to prove something to themselves, you know? And it's like, maybe, maybe in fact, the people that we should look at and be like, okay, Here's the racist. We need to start a cause, which is like, if you support- Well, I wouldn't black, go that far. Black, well, <laughs> I know, but hey, come on, let me run with this, because it's kind of funny. <laughs> but it's like, you know, we'll start a cause, but like, if you, if you uh, don't hate black people in any way, you change your profile picture to, uh, I don't know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and, uh, and then we know who the real racists are, because those are the people that question whether or not they have something to prove.
1: If anything, it should be Kareem because everyone who sees it' will be like, "Oh, Kareem, and then they'll remember how much they
0: like black people that's yeah. all you need. It's like that's <laughs> actually a that's even a better plan, you know, dude, I tell you what, man, Black America would be so much better off if uh the rock was just black. <laughs> <laughs> We're fine, all right, all right. anyway this j b uh you know this has been awesome man i. I want to give you uh, closing closing. whoops, I just banged my own desk. You're banging your desk. I'm banging my desk. We're both pretty junk right now. Uh, I want to give you closing remarks. And I do want to say that I, I you know, I uh, need to have you on ELL more often, but I don't have anybody on the show. Obviously.
1: No, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a
0: ranting, it's a ranting show. And my ratings go down when I have guests, but um, yeah, man, I want to give you last, uh, last haps here and uh, cheers as always to, an incredibly enjoyable conversation, man. I, I love talking to you about uh, anything because as I said, you never come at anything from a shoot from the hip perspective and you always have a rarely, like you put a lot of thought into it and it's very, uh, I don't know. That's the old neurons firing, man. So cheers to you, buddy. Flatter will get you everything.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'll I'll keep it really simple and short. It's don't get distracted. <laughs> if there's anything, if there's anything, maybe we should just clip it and put it in the front. Don't get distracted. Don't let the state confuse you about what people are complaining about. Don't let the violence, this inherent violence, this has been going on since the Roman Republic, like riots are is the time for the state and individuals to take advantage. Don't let that distract you from what set the keg off in the first place. Stay focused. There's a problem with policing in this country. There's a problem with the pe- police state and by extension, the government's control over its citizenry. Stay focused. If you think the rioters are the be-all and all of this movement, you you need to shift gears here. And I'll just leave it at that.
0: Beautiful. JB, thank you, my friend. Guys, from me, Brian McWilliams from Dr. Science, JB Lubin from the Lions of Liberty and from Electric Liberty Land. Always stay plugged into Liberty.